0: Welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, a weekly podcast that takes a closer look at songs from the rock and roll era, and we check out some of the stories behind those songs and the artists who made them famous. My name is Claude Cole, and once in a while, that's a good thing to know. Hey, don't forget to check out the website, howgooditis.com, and the Twitter, and the Instagram, and of course the Facebook page, which you can find over at facebook.com slash pod. So for today's trivia question, this, this is where rock and roll meets art. Many bands have a piece of art that represents them and which will appear on their albums or on the t-shirts you buy or on stickers or whatever. And that art lets other people know that you're part of you know, the, the Kiss Army or a Deadhead or whatever. You get the idea. So there's one band whose logo incorporates uh, symbols that represent each member's Zodiac sign. So for instance, if it were the Beatles... The logo would would include a set of scales representing John Lennon and a fish for George Harrison because he's a Pisces and so on. So clearly I'm not talking about the Beatles because that's a little bit of a giveaway. And I'm not talking about Kiss or the Grateful Dead either. But what band am I talking about? Their logo involves symbols related to all their astrological signs. And as usual, I will have that answer at the end of the program. Well, it has been ranked by Rolling Stone magazine as the 11th greatest song of all time. In fact, it appears near the top of a lot of music lists. It's considered a concert staple. It's instantly recognizable. But as a single, it wasn't a hit in the United States, even though it was their biggest hit in their home country. We get around. My Generation was written by Pete Townsend in 1965, uh, and it all started with an argument that he'd had with his parents. According to Townsend's brother, Pete's parents weren't thrilled with his efforts to remodel his apartment into a recording studio. Uh, and this turned into a huge argument when the remodeling job started to affect the structural integrity of the rest of the building, and Townsend was kicked out. He wound up sharing an apartment with record producer Kit Lambert in a very wealthy district of London. Now, while the Who had experienced some success at that point, they still weren't quite at that stage of wealth they could live in that district. So Townsend pretty much stood out among the others. Townsend has relayed a couple of different stories about how he was treated badly while he was in that neighborhood, including one incident where his car had been towed by the staff at nearby Buckingham Palace at the request of the Queen Mother. So Townsend channeled that anger into a couple of things. One of them was the basic drive to be bigger and richer than they were. In a 1987 interview with Rolling Stone, he said it was all about the vengeance. He said, I'm afraid I've done it out of a great sickness. I talk to people I really do respect from that way of life now, and I say to them, do you realize why it is I'm so driven to operate within the establishment? It's a vengeance. The other was pouring his liver out into the writing of My Generation, which he wrote on his birthday, May 19th, while riding on a train. And I swear to God, this is a coincidence, but I happen to be recording and releasing this episode on May 19th, Pete Townsend's birthday. And since I brought up the topic earlier, well, that makes Pete a Taurus. And no, that's not a hint to the trivia question either. Now, nobody will deny this is a very hard-hitting song, especially in the UK in 1965. While it's definitely got a mod sound to it, I think it could easily be classified as one of the forefathers of the punk sound. That's the way we know it now, but it's not the way it uh, started out. The early incarnations of the uh, song were much slower and had a bluesy feel to it. It was uh, producer Kit Lambert's idea to speed it up, and at one point he had had a bunch of Key changes and hand claps to it. Have a listen to this. It's one of the earlier demos. Now, this clip comes from a flexi disc that came as a freebie in Richard Bourne's biography of the band from 1983. So, you might hear some surface noises here. So at this point, there's still a lot of echo standing in for the cacophony that ensues in later takes. And you might also notice that Roger Daltrey's stuttering is almost completely absent. And the story behind the stuttering was pretty interesting to me, if only because I noticed... That in many of the Who's more notable songs, the central character has some kind of defect, and I can't explain. The narrator can't express himself because he's kind of whacked out on Dexedrine. In Happy Jack, they're singing about a homeless man. Tommy was, of course, deaf, dumb, and blind because of a uh, traumatic childhood incident, and of course, our narrator in My Generation has a stutter. now Townsend has said that John Lee Hooker's Stuttering Blues, what you're hearing now, was one of his influences, but it still wasn't meant to be part of Townsend's vision of the song. You. you almost knocked me off my feet. I hardly play. I'm looking at you. The stuttering, like so many other changes to the song, was Kit Lambert's idea. And it came late in the process. In a uh, 2001 interview with Uncut magazine, uh, Roger Daltrey confessed that he personally does have a stutter, which he has since learned to control. And as with many people with communication disorders, Daltrey would stutter when he spoke, but not necessarily when he sang. So after a couple of takes, Lambert told Daltrey that he should stutter when he sings a song, to make him sound like a kid who's kind of whacked out on speed. Daltrey said that the drawn out F's on the word fade were always in there, but the rest was largely improvisation. The stutter created a little bit of an airplay problem for the band at first, since the BBC didn't want to air it, thinking that it was making fun of stutterers, but as the record began to sell, they finally caved and added to their playlist. Ultimately, the song went to number two in the UK, making it their biggest single up there, even up until today. Meanwhile, over here in the United States, the Who was still largely an unknown quantity, and the song... Uh, Well, it peaked at number 73 on the Billboard chart. When the album finally came out, the U.S. title was The Who's... uh, I'm sorry, The Who Sings My Generation, because they were still relative unknowns on this side of the pond. Now, the one line throughout the song that Daltrey doesn't stutter on is its most iconic, Hope I Die Before I Get Old. Now, when he was asked about the line at that time, a 21-year-old Daltrey said in interviews that he stood by the lyric and that he'd probably kill himself before reaching 30 because he didn't want to get old. Go figure, about 10 years later, when people were calling him on it, he backtracked and noted that, well, getting old is more of an attitude than a physical condition. In the meantime, Townsend has always maintained that it was an attitude thing, although he tempered it by saying it was an attitude that came from being very wealthy. Now one of the more notable components of this track is this bass solo. At that time, a bass solo was still pretty rare for a rock and roll record. John Entwistle wanted to use his new Dan Electro bass, which has very thin strings. And the problem was the guitar was so new that he couldn't get replacement strings for it because they were still so tough to find. There are stories that he actually went out and bought new Dan Electros so that he could use that guitar on the record. But he kept breaking strings, so he finally gave up and used his Fender jazz bass, which meant that he had to simplify his solo a little bit. Unlike the rest of the record, the solo has that same aggressive call and response pattern where he plays something, the rest of the band responds with an instrumental version of Talking About My Generation, and so on. Now, in live shows, the song's ending usually serves as an introduction to some extended jamming, but the original record ends with lots of mayhem. Keith Mooney is just hammering away on anything in reach. Townsend is flipping switches randomly on and off on his guitar pickups, and he and Daltry are vocally stepping on each other, making the whole thing extra chaotic right up until they reached that closing chord. Visually, it was pretty stunning because this was the point where you would see those iconic images of them destroying their instruments at the end of the song. In one instance, it actually got kind of dangerous. When they uh, performed on the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour in September of 1967, Keith Moon had set his drums to explode, not knowing that the show's technical crew had already arranged for the explosion. So if you watch the video, and I will provide a clip on the website, They're they're actually two blasts, and I think you'll be amazed that on that second one, Pete Townsend was not more badly injured. As it was, his hair was burned, and that was the beginning of his hearing loss. What's not entirely clear in that clip is that The Who really hated the idea of lip-syncing lyrics and pantomiming playing. So oftentimes when you see them on American TV shows, they will purposely do stuff that won't be heard, such as Keith Moon knocking over his cymbal. It's a lot like the Mamas and the Papas where Michelle Phillips will be standing there eating a banana instead of pretending to sing. As far as covers of the song, well, there are a bunch of them. Some of them are pretty faithful, like the Count Five. You might remember that uh, band from the song Psychotic Reaction. They recorded the song later that same year for their album, which was titled Psychotic Reaction. Uh, Green Day also did their version on their 1992 album, Kerplunk, which starts off typical, and then it kind of wakes up in the second half. Why don't you all just fade away Talking about out. my generation I I what we all- That one's not bad here's one from the oh hell no category hillary duff did a cover in 2004 i it's genuinely cringeworthy i get the feeling she was trying to appeal to her disney-based fans right down to the key line Yeah, you heard that correctly. She sang Hope I Don't Die Before I Get Old. So everyone, everyone I know, everyone on the Internet, everybody. I don't don't think I've seen anybody who hasn't said this. Everybody argues that she has completely subverted the point of the song. So, let me play for you a little palate cleanser for sheer anger and urgency. You've got Patty Smith's 1976 cover from her debut album Horses. It's probably one of the best that's out there, and this is pretty much the only clip that I can play because well, I have a radio-friendly show. Daddy. You can also check out some uh, Not Bad covers by Iron Maiden and Oasis. And if you want to hear another especially bad one, check out the 2002 recording by the, Apolo- by the band Apologetics. That's ending in X, not CS. Okay? And now it is time to answer today's trivia question. Back on page two, I asked you to name the band whose logo incorporates a symbol for each member that represents their individual astrological signs. That band would be Queen. Take a look at their logo, and I'll put it up on the howgooditis.com website, hidden under a spoiler tag, and you'll see that, among other things, their rather complicated logo has two lions on it. That's one for John Deacon and one for Roger Taylor, who were both born under the sign of Leo. There's a crab for Brian May, who was born in mid-July, which makes him a Cancer. And there are a pair of fairies, which represent Freddie Mercury, who was a Virgo. I admit that this one makes the question a little bit unfair, but that was Mercury's reasoning when he designed the artwork. Also in the artwork are a large Q that the Lions are embracing, standing for Queen, which has a crown inside of it, and the whole thing is topped by a phoenix, and it's all meant to evoke the royal coat of arms of the United Kingdom. Queen's first album had a simple line drawing of the logo on the back cover, which was designed by uh, Freddie Mercury, and the subsequent appearances of the artwork were a little bit more detailed, and they were also in full color. And that's a full lid on another edition of how good it is if you're enjoying the show please take the time to share it with someone and maybe even leave a rating somewhere if you want to get in touch with the show you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow the show on twitter or instagram at how good it is pod you can also visit like and follow the show's facebook page at facebook.com slash how good it is pod and finally you can check out the show's website howgooditis.com where you can find a few extra bits Thanks as usual to Podcast Republic for featuring the show. And next time around, we're going to find out how good it is to be a boxer. Hmm. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you next time.